Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Oh, God can turn everything around. Amen. Uh, we, uh, we finished a series a couple, or last Sunday, and uh, how many of you know that one of the uncomfortable things to talk about in church is sex? And so we talked about sex and talked about it real bluntly and told you all what, you know, what our beliefs in are as far as relationships and stuff like that. And uh, the only thing more uncomfortable to talk about in church usually is money. And so we're gonna, we went right from sex to money. I don't know how that works, but uh, we're going to talk about money this morning. But you know what? I believe God can turn that around. You know, I've been really thinking about our economy and the fact that the Bible is real clear that when, when things are going bad in a, in a nation, you call it what it is. It's called a famine. And a famine may not have come to your house, but that don't mean that there's not a famine. Uh, in fact, if you're living righteously, there's a real good chance that the famine might not come to your house because the Bible says that we've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. So I don't expect it to come to my house, but I should be concerned that it's coming to my neighbor's house. And so I began to think, how do you break a famine? Well, you got to go to God's Word. And God's Word says in Joel that when there was a famine, they did several things. First, they prayed, they called a fast, and then they gave. You go into Matthew chapter 6 and read Matthew chapter 6, and they give. That's how we break the famine. So I'm calling you to prayer. I'm calling you to fast. If you, if you haven't felt the famine at your house, fast anyway. So you'll begin to feel like what everybody else around you is feeling like a little bit and understand the situation there. And then with the other way we break that, and, and one of the reasons we're talking about money, is we break a famine. This is crazy. God does things backwards, right? Or do we do things backwards? Uh, I'll let y'all think that one through. Uh, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, you know, he does things weird. His ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we break a famine by giving. That makes no sense. I just know that it works. And so we're going to talk about money this morning. I want to talk to you about pocket change, how to have a pocket change. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. I want to read two accounts of Scripture to you this morning, one out of Mark and one out of Matthew, that deals with two instances where Jesus talked specifically about money and dealt specifically with money. You know this story. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, And he sat down opposite the treasury, and he began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had. To live on. Now, let me just tell you right here up front, Jesus was interested and is interested in money. Now, there's a difference between being interested in and being obsessed with. Jesus was interested in money, he's just not obsessed with money. Jesus understood the implications that money is necessary to live a daily normal life. He understood that Jesus just wasn't obsessed with money, but he knew that it was important. I find it interesting that in this account we find Jesus is at church, just like you are, and we don't think we don't we don't like to think about the fact that uh, there, you ought to care about the money at the church and all that kind of stuff. All I know is that the account that I read to you, Jesus actually set so that he could watch what people were given. 
there's an interesting thought. Maybe we ought to come and approach offering a little differently and, uh, and with this idea. Jesus is looking over our shoulder. And some of you getting real nervous already. Je- you, know the, you know what that means. He's watching what, what happens when your hand goes in your pocket and you don't have anything in it. And you act like, come on now. He knows. He, know, he watches us. He's concerned. Jesus is at the temple and he's watching the offering. And something interesting happens. People come by, all kinds of people, rich people, poor people, wealthy people, people in poverty. And they're giving offerings. And the Bible says that some gave huge offerings and some didn't give that much when one little widow comes by. And she gives what equates to a cent in the offering. And it catches Jesus' attention. Now, can I tell you this morning that a one-cent offering doesn't catch most people's attention? It's not something that just drops our jaw and we are amazed by it. But something happened. The fact that she even gave copper was astounding because do you understand that in that day it was almost a social obligation that if you're going to give an offering, you are required to give a silver coin. And yet she was so poor that all she had was a copper coin, two of them, and she put them in the offering. And Jesus recognized something. You know what caught his attention? The fact that the offering was a sacrifice. The Bible says that Jesus spoke up and said, y'all need to see this, guys. This is incredible. Because she gave everything she had. It caught his attention. Well, this woman's testimony or story stands in stark contrast to the story of the young man that we learned about in children's church. Y'all know him by this moniker. We call him the rich young ruler. How many of you would like to have that? I I mean, come on, call me the rich Steve Ely. I can handle it, call it, you know. How many of you would like to have that as the adjective that precedes your name? Y'all be called doctor and and reverend and I'll just take rich. Just call me rich Steve Ely. I don't care. You know, that's how we know him, right? And Jesus comes into contact with him. And this the the widow's story stands in supreme contrast with this young man. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, A man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. And the man asks, What in particular? And Jesus said, Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. And the young man says, I've done all that. What's left? couldn't be anything possibly left that I need to do and Jesus says if you want to give it all you if you want to give it all you've got go sell your possessions give everything to the poor all your wealth will then be in heaven then come follow me that was the last thing the young man expected to hear and so crestfallen he walked away he was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let it go. What was the difference between the widow who didn't have anything and could give everything and the rich young ruler who had a lot and couldn't give any of it away? Was it the amount of what they owned that kept them from being able to give him from giving the offering? What was the difference? May I tell you that their stories are different because they had different views of money. Though, boy, y'all are already quiet, y'all bunch of Presbyterians. Wake up this morning. Listen, they had a different view of money. They looked at money differently, and so their, their expression, their reaction was different. We need to have 
an understanding that as American Christians, most of us fall into one of these stories. There are people that sat in here this morning that have multiplied thousands of dollars in their bank account, yet they still fall into the account of the widow. They're more like the widow than they are the rich young ruler. There are some of you that don't have two nickels to rub together, but you're still more like the rich young ruler than the widow. You fall into one of these stories. We all do. Let me prove it to you. Did you know that there are a billion people that live on less than a dollar a day in our world? A billion people live on less than a dollar a day. And yet in America, we the average American lives on $97 a day. Nine times what everybody else has. And as American Christians, we, we live our life nine times more wealthy than the rest of the people in the world. And the problem is, is we want more. We don't have a correct view of money. We don't understand what money really is. Another way we can prove that is that recently it was discovered that about 40% of Americans worry about money. And rightfully so, right now in particular, we ought to all be a little bit worried about what's going on in the markets and in the economy. I understand the worry. I just remember that Jesus was pretty specific when he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27, not to worry. Because he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life we worry because we don't really trust God to live up to his word in which he says I will supply all we've dealt with that Greek word before you know Greek word for all means all I'll provide all your needs then I discovered this in 2007, 84%. That's a pretty good number. I like those kind of statistics. 84% of U.S. adults donated money to churches or to nonprofit organizations. That's pretty good, 84%. And then I discovered that same year, only 5% of adults tithed. We need to have a pocket change. We need to have a, a change in the way that we view finances. These accounts that I read to you, out of Mark and out of Matthew, they reveal to us views of finances, concepts about money. And I want to share just four of them with you. The first one is this. This little lady that threw in all that she had, she teaches us a very powerful lesson, and that is this. Money is a gift. Money's a gift. What you have in your pocket right now, come on, fill in that pocket. Some of you got a bunch of money, some of you don't have nothing. Put your hand in your pocket and fill around. I got a, a smoke machine remote control. I don't have a cent on me. All right. That thing, that, that physical manifestation of money, we need to understand and have a correct view that that money is a gift from God. What you have in your pocket, what you have in your checkbook, what you have in your 401k account, what you have in your Swiss bank accounts, I know how some of you are, I, what you have stuffed in your mattress that nobody knows about, what you buried in your backyard, the only reason that you have that is that money is a gift from God. We are only blessed by having money because of the generosity of our Father. Oh, don't we say that every good and perfect gift comes from God? 
and then we wanted to coordinate it off and say, no, my paycheck comes from Walmart. My, cha- my, pa- my paycheck comes from Hallmark. My paycheck comes from whatever your company is. And we say, that's about them. It's not about God. No, 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 no. We need to come back to grips with the understanding of this, that our job is not our source. They're just a channel. And if we have a job, we ought to be thankful. And according to Scripture, if we have a job, we ought to be giving an honest day's labor. In other words, Christians ought to work harder than everybody else. We shouldn't be lazy. And not only that, when we give a good day's labor, we should expect a fair day's wage. But we must also remember that if they fire us tomorrow, they're not our source. We have money because it's a gift from God. We've got to come to the place in our spiritual walk where we not only know Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we actually believe it and live it out because it says this, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will add all these things. What things? Food. Do we need food? Yeah. Do we need shelter? Absolutely. Do I need transportation? Yeah. Do I need to be entertained every once in a while? Yeah, so I don't go stark raving mad and kill everybody around me. I've got to be entertained every once in a while, right? He will add all these things to us if we will seek God first. Money is a gift. Our attention is not on the gift. Our attention must shift to the giver and understand that now that he's given us a gift, it is our obligation to steward that gift. See, this little lady teaches us a principle that I want you to learn this morning if you don't already know it, and that is this. A gift received leads to a gift given. If you receive a gift, then you you should in turn turn around and give a gift back to somebody. It might not be the same person, but there's a principle there. God has given us this gift called finances, and now we are obligated because we've received a gift to in turn give a gift back. And when we give the gift, we should dig deeper and probably should give more than people think is appropriate. Think about this. Have you ever been sitting next to somebody and they give an offering that blows your mind? Have you ever had that happen? I mean, you, they didn't do it on purpose. They weren't making a show. They pull out their wallet, and you see there's a $100 bill or $200 bill in there. If they had a $200 bill, you, you might. If they had two or $300 bills in there, and they open, that, they open that thing up, and you see it all there, and they reach in, and they take out everything they own. Or you're sitting next. Have you ever, I know y'all don't do this. Y'all aren't as crazy as I am. But you look over somebody's shoulder when they're writing their check. I know y'all don't do that. And they fill in the amount, and your jaw drops more than what we think is appropriate. That is, can I tell you this morning, that is exactly what this little lady did. Do you understand that by obligation, she was only required to give one coin? That would have met all the religious requirements of the day. All she had to do was give one coin. She could have kept the other coin to get a drink at McDonald's. And instead, the Bible says she took both coins, all she had, and laid them in the offering plate. She knew that it was a gift. And when it's a gift, you can let it go and trust God to work out the outcome. The second view of money, and it's not a healthy one, we learn from the rich young ruler 
Because if we're not careful, this rich young ruler, say that fast with me three times. I'm struggling. Okay, on the count of three, rich, rich young ruler, three times. Here we go. One, two, three. Rich young ruler. Rich young ruler. See, it's harder than you thought it was. Y'all don't look at me like I can't talk. <laughs> the rich guy in the story. All right, there we go. He teaches us. That is, it is possible if we're not careful to have a view of money that money is our God. That's what it teaches us. He is described, I read it to you, as a young man who, had, who was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let it go. Money had become his God. Do you understand that the definition of an idol is anything that comes between you and God? And when we allow material possessions to come between us and God, they have become our new God. So my question to you this morning is this, what's holding you? What possesses you? Or one way to say it or ask it is this, is this do we hold stuff or does stuff hold us? If we're not careful, if we don't have a pocket change, if we don't deal with our concept of money, money becomes our God. And Jesus was pretty blunt about money. Because in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says this, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You may be the wealthiest person in the room, but can I tell you this morning that if you lose everything tomorrow, that's not who you were. We see rich people on TV. You watch them on MTV Cribs or the country music one. I don't know what they call that one. But where is it Cribs too? Yeah, country Cribs, I guess. Redneck Cribs. I don't know what they call it. But you go in there and you see all this stuff that they have, right? I just lost somebody. I don't know. I just feel like you go in there and you see all this stuff. That <laughs> see all this stuff they have. And then you turn on the news three or four weeks later and you see them DUI. You see them at Sober House. I know you all watching that one too because I find that one fascinating that people people that have everything can be that jacked up unhappy popping pills life devastated why because our possessions are not who we are and so we cannot make money our god listen as americans and in particular as christian americans we like stuff i ought to ask for a show of hands how many of you like stuff i like stuff yeah I can prove it to you that recently there was a survey done. Not only do we like stuff, we admit we like it. Americans were surveyed and they asked, how many of you think having a beautiful home, a new car, or other nice things is important? 78% of the people surveyed said it is very important or fairly important. Only 22% said not that important. We like our stuff. And there's no problem with that except for when we get to this place where we view money as our God and we begin to make it our goal. And we view it as a status symbol. We get in trouble. Can I remind you about a story we don't like to read? Most of us would like to rip it out of the Bible and never go back to it. It's in Acts. Ananias and Sapphira, they must have worshipped money. We can tell that by what they did. They were looking for status. They go out and they have this piece of property. Somebody had already sold a piece of property and given all the money to the church before them. So they're trying to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths or whatever. And they go out and they sell their piece of property and they bring a portion of the, the proceeds back. Listen, they've probably already given more than they were obligated to give. 
and yet when they give it, they stand up in front of everybody and go, we're giving everything. Liars. They wanted status. And so when they stand up and say, we're giving everything, guess what happens? God gets ticked off, and he kills them instantly. And see, my question this morning is how many of us don't think God's like that anymore? What we do is we play Russian roulette with God, and we try to walk in and escape his judgment. And we, we play games with God and say, God, I need this money worse than you do. You're right. He's got everything. But he still requires us to steward and to give back. And we play games with God and go, I've got to buy some more stuff. There's some things out there, God, you just don't understand. I've got to make ends meet. I gotta, I, I, I'm short this month. And, I, and we, play, we play Russian roulette. And I wonder how many of us die every week and we just don't know it. Because nobody went and got a coffin for us. Nobody dug a grave for us. We think we escaped unharmed. But the truth is, is that we die on a weekly basis, spiritually, emotionally, and financially. And we're just as dead as Ananias and Sapphira and just don't even know it. Because we've made money our God. I am saying to you that money is a gift. It is not a God. I am saying to you that we, money does not deserve our allegiance. It cannot satisfy your soul. It will leave you wanting forever. In fact, the wisest man that ever lived in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, Solomon says this, Whoever loves money will never have enough money. Whoever loves wealth will not be satisfied with it. This is also useless. Reminds me of the Rockefellers. Y'all know that name. It's one of the richest families in the history of America. They were billionaires. They asked one of the Rockefellers one time, how much money is enough? And he said, just one more dollar. Because when you have money, it's never enough. How many of you can think of something else you want to buy right now? Like, I got a little old boat. I could buy a new one. I got an old truck. I could buy a new one. I already got one picked. You know, that's how we do. It never, it is never enough. The third view of money that I want us to get to is this. I want us to see money as a tool. We've got to change. We've got to have a pocket change and understand that the correct view of money is that God places money into our possession as a tool. David understood this. If you go read about King David, the Bible says that he took up a huge offering. He took up probably the largest offering known to mankind. I'm getting ready to tell you how much he took up here in just a second. And then we're going to try to match it at the end of service. Now I'm playing. He took up, he took up this year. Y'all lighten up. I'm having fun this morning. I'm not talking about sex, but I'm still having fun. He took up this huge offering. All right? Do you know the truth is that he could have kept it for himself? He was the king. The king gets to make up the rules. He doesn't have to go before the Congress. He doesn't have to go before the Senate. He doesn't have to call it a stimulus bill. He is the king. He can do anything he wants. He's got a huge offering, and I can keep it for myself if I want to. But he understood, David understood, that it was a tool that God had placed in his hands. Can I read to you the pocket change? It happens in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14. It says, with great pains. Here's the, here's the part about the tool. With great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord. There it is. He understood what money was for. It wasn't building a building, by the way. I'll get to that in just a second. Just relax. We're not starting a capital campaign this morning. He just understood that it was a tool. It was an ends to it was a means to an end. And so he says, I, I've provided with great pain for the house of the Lord. One hundred thousand talents of gold, three hundred and seven three thousand seven hundred and seventy-five tons of gold. That's what that equates to. 
One million talents of silver. That's 37,750 tons of silver. Then he says, and I've got bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there's so much of it. Timber and stone, too, have I provoted, provided to these you must add. Let me, let me tell you what David could have done. He's the king now. Mind you, he is the king. He could have done what we do. He could have played the two tons for me, one ton for you game. Here's two tons for me and one ton for you, God. And here's two tons for me and one ton for you, God. And he would have been justified in doing so. But he understood the fact that money is nothing more than a tool. It has been given to us by God to build something. In fact, if you waste all your money and have nothing to show for it, if you don't make any investments, you don't put any money in saving, you don't establish anything and build anything, you are wasting the gift that God has given to you like I did when I was a teenager. I went to my grandmother's house for the weekend, I guess. I don't even know why I was there. She would always once a week go get her hair fixed. You don't understand that anymore, but if you saw my grandmother's hair, you would understand. <clears throat> it's way up there, and she'd go to the beauty shop once a week and get it, however they do that. And I was a little kid, and I don't even know how I pulled this off, but I had $18 of quarters in my pocket. Now, how you even walk... I weighed 75 pounds when I was in eighth grade, and this was about sixth grade, so I don't even know how I was able to move my legs, but I had $18 worth of quarters stuffed in my pocket. I went next door while she was getting this done, and I went next door, and they had a video game, and over the next hour, because it was so, and it took them an hour, and so for the next hour, I spent $18 on one video game. You know what I discovered? I wasted it. They didn't send me a certificate. They didn't put me on TV. I got nothing to show. They didn't even sell me the game. I could have bought the game now for $18. They didn't even give me the game. I had, why? Money is a tool. So what I want us to get to is this understanding that when you pull that 20 out of your pocket or that 5 out of your pocket, what you are actually pulling out of your pocket is a green hammer or a green screwdriver. Because what God has done is he's placed that tool in your pocket to establish his kingdom and to expand his kingdom on the earth. And we think, uh-oh, here we go, he's talking about church. No, I'm not. I am saying to you that when God places money into your pocket, he expects you to do a couple things. He expects you, he expects you to use it to live. He expects you to, live it to live, use it to love. He expects you to expand the kingdom of God right where you are which means you do that by random acts of kindness that nobody expected. It means you help people that are less fortunate than you. It means that you, you further the spreading of the gospel across the face of the earth through your money. It is a tool. It's a tool, but it's not a yardstick. We don't measure ourselves against each other with how much money we have. Some of us would lose every time. It's, a mo it's, a, it's Money is a tool that we establish his kingdom and we build something for God. That's how Jesus thought about money. You, you remember the account where the Pharisees come up to Jesus' disciples and they say, why don't you pay taxes? Jesus said, go to the lake, pull out the fish. How many want to go fishing with Jesus? I want to go fishing with Jesus all the time. I'm there, buddy. And he pulls in one fish and has a coin in his mouth and he goes and pays taxes, teaching us this, that money is a tool. It's just a means to an end. Jesus taught us this. He didn't say it like this. I'll tell you how he said it in just one second. I've already read it to you, but I'm going to remind you. He basically espoused this view right here, and we need, to, we need to gobble this view up and begin to live this way. Here it is. We make ourselves rich by making our wants few. 
Hear me. I want to say that one more time. We make ourselves rich by making our wants few. You know how Jesus said it? I read it to you a while ago. Don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Make your wants few. Finally, let me just say this to you, that money is a thermometer. You understand that a, th a thermostat adjusts the environment, right? If it's too cold, it heats us up. If it's too hot, it cools us down. That's what a thermostat does. But a thermometer is only an indicator of what is present. It doesn't change anything. It just shows us where we are. It's a gauge. So therefore, I am saying to you this morning that money is nothing more than a thermometer. It reveals, it is an indicator of two things. First of all, it reveals our relationship with others. How we use our money indicates how we feel about other people. I like what one young man, or one man said. He said, listen to this, this is profound. Money doesn't change you. It reveals who you are when you no longer have to be nice. Think about that. Rich folk don't have to have friends. They can fire them all and hire new ones. Money doesn't reveal anything except for how we care about other people. In other words, what your assignment this afternoon is to go home and get your checkbook out and figure out where you spend your money. And if you spent your money on you and nobody else, there, I got some bad news for you. You might want to come to Jesus because the reality is, is you don't give a rip about anybody but you. And if you spend your money on things and all you have to show for it is houses and cars and nice clothes and you never use it to touch anybody or to bless anybody or help anybody, I got bad news for you. You're materialistic and you don't love nobody but things. Money is a thermometer. It teaches us how we feel about people. Money does not make us care about people. It just reveals whether we do or not. That's why I think it's so important and so crucial as a body that two things that we've done from the very beginning is we give 1% of everything that comes into our, our from our congregation to missions. Why? Because we love and are concerned about people. If all we have are nice lights and a nice big new lobby that, y'all see the expansion that's happening? That nice lobby and we get the nice bar stools and the tables that we can sit around there and drink our little flavored coffee. If we don't ever spend any money on somebody else other than us, we don't care. The second thing we do is we always give 1% to a Bible college called Southwestern Christian University because we believe that there is a generation that's coming behind us that is going to change the world for Christ, and therefore we are investing in that. And if we don't do that kind of stuff, we don't love people. We can put a nice little banner up that says people on it, and if we don't spend any money on people, we're lying. The second thing that it indicates to us is this, and we don't have a problem with the first. I could have said, ask you to say amen, and all of you that believe that how we use our money indicates whether how we feel about people, you would have all said amen. Here's where we have problems. See, the second thing that money does is it reveals our relationship with God. We don't like that one, but it's the truth. How we handle our money is a direct reflection of how we think about God. Jesus knew that. That's why he connected. There, there is a connection. I don't know how far, how far is that. Woody, you're the measurer in the, in the church. Is that about seven inches from there to there? Oh, okay, man, never mind. No, right here, right here. Foot and a half. All right, we're calling it a foot and a half. All right, Jesus understood that there's a connection that takes place in a foot and a half. What happens here 
has extreme implications for what's going on here. You know how he said it? He said it in, in, in uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In other words, let me put it in these terms. He's, another way to say that is this. If he doesn't have your treasure, he doesn't fully have your heart. Ouch. You mean, God, you're concerned about what I spend my Yes, he's concerned. It is a direct reflection of what's going on in our lives spiritually. The widow's might was pocket change, and yet it caught Jesus' attention. Why? Because he knew that what was going on in her pocket was going on in her heart, and the change that had taken place in her pocket revealed that something was going on in her heart, and the fact that she had the correct view of money was a certain indication that she had a correct view of God. And I am saying to you this morning that we have got to come to the place where we understand what this little lady understood is that we love God more than we love our money. 10%. Here we go. Strap on the seatbelts. Getting ready to get nervous. 10%. Can I just tell you that 10% is pocket change? God could have asked for 90% and asked us to live on 10%. You know what the truth is? Most of us could have done it. Oh, we wouldn't drive what we drive and live where we live, but we could do it. You don't believe that? I'll take you back to when I first started ministry and was living on sixty-eight hundred dollars a year. You can do it. We just don't like to do it, and that's okay. He didn't ask for ninety percent. He asked for pocket change, and yet we act like that is the biggest problem in the world. I am saying to you that it reveals how we obey or don't obey. It gives us a very clear picture, picture and insight of how we trust and love God. I'm going to make a statement. I told him in the early service that I almost took this out of my message because I knew I was going to offend somebody. That's all right. You're just going to have to be offended. Because I'm going to tell you how I, this is just the truth. I've never met anybody that does not tithe that I would say has a really good relationship with God. Never. You know what I've discovered? People that don't tithe, they're wishy-washy. They're in and out, up and down, Worrying, struggling, can't make ends meet, all up and they're like a roller. Man, we could sell tickets on them. They're so up and down. They're like a roller coaster. They're, they're wishy washy, emotionally stressed. Why? Because they're not in alignment with God's authority and power. And I've never met anybody that does not tie that has a, what I would consider the type of relationship with God that I would want to emulate. Is that brutal? Yeah, it's brutal. It's also true. I'm asking you to understand that we have to have a pocket change. It, it's unbelievable. We never connect. Why do we never connect what happens in our pocketbook to our heart? I can prove that to you. 68% of people in a survey agreed that money is one thing. Moral and values are completely separate. We compartmentalize our life and say our money has nothing to do with what we believe. They did another survey and they said, in a survey of Americans, 51%, listen to this, 51%, half of us, walking around here in America, believe that the Bible contains valuable teachings about the use of money. That means non-Christians and Christians alike, 51% of us think that the Bible says some good stuff about money. That's pretty cool. Until you realize that only 29% say that they've even thought a little bit in a year about what in the past year what the Bible teaches about money. Just because we believe it says something good, we're not even going to read about it or think about it and apply it. 
And then 31%, just a few more, said that they, they ever even thought about the connection between religious values and your personal finances. So what we do it here at church has nothing to do with how we spend our money. That's crazy. Because how we spend our money out there has everything to do with what we believe in here. And so I'm asking God to reveal our hearts. The Bible says that in one moment's time, Jesus revealed that young man's heart and his view about God and his view about money. And I'm asking God to reveal our hearts again about what we really believe and think. I wrote something down. This is a prayer that I'm sure you've all prayed. In fact, I'm going to ask you to show your hands here in a second since you prayed this prayer. I just wrote it out in my terms. Haven't you ever prayed this? God, let me follow you. Let me be used by you. Let me touch people for you. Let my life matter. Let my life count. How many of you have ever prayed something along those lines before? Most, if not all of you. Some of you are lying. I know you're afraid of that because we all pray that. That's one prayer. But this is an entirely different prayer. And this is the one that really gets something done. Listen to this prayer. God, here's everything I have. It's yours. If it means digging into my pocket weekly and giving you what is yours, I will do it. If it means selling everything I own and moving, I will do it. I will do whatever you ask me to do. Can I tell you that's a different kind of prayer? And that's a different kind of life. You know what kind of life that is? A disciple's life. The disciples come to Jesus and say, they say, Jesus, we've given up everything. We've given up houses. We've given up our homes. We've given up our friends. We've given up our Lamborghinis. We've given, given our GQ clothes. We've given everything. And Jesus says, now I know he doesn't say it just like this. Just bear with me. This is Stevie Lee's version, version of this. He just says, don't sweat it. I got you covered. I got your back. Don't worry. Because anything you've invested in my kingdom will be given back to you. And I want to say to you something this morning. It's time for us to put our money where our mouth is and to have a pocket change. And understand that it is the goal of this body to be disciples. And we reveal whether we're really disciples or not by what goes on in our pocket. You're the winner. You're the, you're the contestants that win this morning. This is, I, I preach about money about once or twice a year. You happen to choose this Sunday to show up. You're the grand prize winners. You get to hear about money. But can I tell you something this morning and then I'm done? What happens with your green stuff whether anybody else sees it or not Jesus watches should that make us give out of guilt absolutely not money's a gift not mine anyway I'm just a conduit through which it flows through to establish his kingdom it's a tool I'm trying to build something here it is not my goal I don't if I live my whole life to be rich and I pull it off what will I have to show for it when I'm gone nothing ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul I didn't think so we don't take it with us what matters is what we establish while we're here so I'm asking God to reveal your heart not to me because the truth is, I said this this morning too, and some folks probably didn't like it. The truth is, I don't have to spend talk, time talking to you very long 
or even spend any much time with you in the altar to find out how you view God. All I got to do is know how you give. Can we put on a show? Yes, Ananias and Sapphira put on a show. They threw money at it. You know what always reveals people like that? How they treat people. Because the two go hand in hand, how we treat people and how we treat God based on our pockets. It reveals what we really believe. Father, I pray this morning that you would reveal our hearts. I pray that we would have a pocket change, that we would not give out a guilt, condemnation, because you don't do that. I pray that we would give as an act of worship and we would understand that money is nothing more than a tool and it's nothing more than a gift. I can declare this this morning. Father, money is not my God. You are. And Father, I pray for each individual under the sound of my voice. If they're struggling with whether or not they should tithe, if they're struggling with with finances to make ends meet, they're at wit's end. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus that you would relinquish gifts into their pocketbook and into their wallets, into their bank accounts. But Father, I pray that we would be more like the widow than we are the rich young ruler. And we would bring more than we have to. And out of our need, of our need we would give help us to have a pocket change that starts and originates as a heart change so when it's all said and done people examine our lives Whether they ever see one of our giving statements or not, what they will sense and understand is that that person was a disciple. And the way that they used their money revealed that they cared about people and that they loved God with everything within them. And it changed how they lived. And Father, we'll praise you for it. And we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name. Let me. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.